Hey, you guys, Jim Vinosky with Manufacturing Talks here. Welcome back to the show. Got another good one. And this one, you know, this is near and dear to my heart because I'm talking to a guy who, like me, came up from the manufacturing floor, worked out there, um, struggled out there, suffered out there. And what he did is he went and founded a company to help solve some of the problems that he himself dealt with. And he saw all the, you know, awesome people around him dealing with during his time there. So his name's Ryan Kuhlenbeck. He is the CEO of a place called Pico MES. And he's here to tell us all about what his company does, why he founded it, and why he thinks this is kind of the way of the future for helping our true experts on the manufacturing floor, the operators and engineers who are there day in, day out, making stuff for us. Stay tuned. We'll be with Ryan here in just a second. Welcome to Manufacturing Talks with Jim Vinosky. Industry has a million cool stories, and Jim talks to the movers and shakers who are making them happen. Let's dive in. EYS Media, your digital media relations agency. Public relations, website design, digital marketing, you get found by the customers and talent who need your solutions. You get media placements and top publications, the best job candidates coming to your website, a digital presence that gets you found by the right people. Call 616-298-8798 to get started today. All right, guys. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talks as always. And as always, thank you to our sponsor, DYS Media. Go look them up online. They'll do a great job for you in the PR world. Another great show here today. This one's a great one for those of you on the manufacturing floor because uh, I got a guy here who's got solutions for you. So his name is Ryan Kuhlenbeck. He's CEO of a company called Pico MES, and he's here to tell us all about it. So let's bring him on. Ryan, hello. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Happy to be Thanks here. for being here. How are you doing today? Well, I've got a fresh cup of coffee, so we should be all right. <laughs> and that's, that's critical. Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, I want to dive right in because I think we've got a lot of great stuff to cover for our manufacturing folks out there. Now, as I said in that brief intro, you're, you're addressing problems on the plant floor and you come from the plant floor. So I want to hear first about that background and what brought you to founding Pico MES. Yeah, the, we'll get into how good of an idea it is to form your own company here in a minute, but they... <laughs> My uh, my 30-second kind of background, I grew up in a small town in central Illinois. It was a manufacturing town. It's where the Firestone tires were built uh, that went on the Explorers back in the day. So always um, just respected skilled trades, people that make things for a living, put me into mechanical engineering for my trade, went to a small school in Missouri, but landed at uh, General Motors. And so spent 10 years at one of the biggest manufacturers on the planet, kind of learning all of the capabilities they had. Uh, chased a girl to a different town, didn't work out, and ended up at Tesla for a couple of years over on this kind of tech side of the house now where there's an opportunity to do something different and a kind of a very, very different mentality, but also zero understanding of how to produce a car at mm -hmm. that time. Um, and then I had a chance to actually start my own uh, factory at a company called Alton Motors where we were building motorcycles um, inside of that, that building from scratch. So always involved in the making of these products. And one of the things in the automotive industry is you learn real quick is you can, you can design the coolest thing on the planet, but if you don't bring your supply base 
along with you. You're just not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in 2019, uh, we decided to break out and try to solve some of those solution gaps where big factories can bring DC torque tools to bear when they need to, and they can collect data and tie into machines. But when you go into the supply base, it's much harder to do that with the solutions that are out there. So it's really what, what we formed Pico to do and kind of the mission that drives me is I just, I, someday I'm going to go run another shop floor again, and I'd like to have a really killer tool set to go do it with. And it wasn't yeah, going to happen if we didn't go create it. So Excellent. And so you kind of got into what prompted you guys to found this thing. Now, let's step back a second and talk about you know, the nuts and bolts here. Uh, an MES is manufacturing execution system, right? Yeah, so we use that term loosely, but it's designed to be the thing that does the command and control layer. The, the classical definition is the command and control layer over the factory. So yeah. it's ingesting information from PLCs or from people or from uh, your ERP that's asking you to order and build something. And it's distributing that to the shop floor and monitoring that things are built correctly. Uh, so that's the manufacturing execution system in a nutshell. But in order yep. for it to work, it still needs something's got to be a sensor or a solution, right? You got to feed it data. It could be people manually entering something. <clears throat> you also have to drive the work. Like what is supposed to happen? You know, sometimes that's a piece of paper that's a print or you know, PowerPoint laminated. Yep. Other times it's digital and the MES has control over which version's being shown. Uh, but it's really this operating system that's driving the shop floor in its core. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I wrote about you guys for Forbes and th- there were two things that really sparked my interest in covering this and, and, you know, continued in having you here on the show. And you, you mentioned one of them is that you came up from the factory floor and you mentioned the other is that, you know, the big companies can pour money into problems and, and, have all kinds of high price solutions, but the the suppliers, the small and medium guys can't do that. And so talk a little more about the specifics that you went after when you founded the company to help out those, those smaller actors out there. So the, I think it's really interesting. I'm actually most excited about small manufacturers because it's the rare occurrence when you have, by the way, small manufacturers does not mean small company. Right. I mean, a, a third of these might be standalone businesses, but a third are owned by private equity groups and another third are pieces of uh, bigger enterprises. You know, mm-hmm. Think of like Parker Hannifin and all the factories they they bought through the years as they vertically yep. integrated. So what's neat about them, though, is they tend to operate in a reasonably standalone environment. So the domain experts that know how to make that product are in those four walls. There's not some tech center 300 miles away or farther that is driving how this part's supposed to be made. Mm -hmm. And so if you can enable the experts in that factory to just fix the problems, to bring the technology in place that they know they need to solve, holy crap, you can have a a small factory actually outperform the bigger ones. They're less complicated. They tend to be more specialized. So they should be more efficient on the other side. But the gap is in the technology and the way it's been developed. So I'm in the middle of a venture-funded business, right? It's got a whole lot of fun treats that come with that. But, um, you know, that tends to push towards enterprise because they understand it. So you can go get a million-dollar contract from General Motors, you know, or whatever it might be. You're never going to get that from a small and mid-sized factory. Their budgets don't work that way. It needs to be a proven solution. They're going to spend a million dollars. It's going to be on five axis. 
you know, or something that they know how to make money off of. Yep. So for Absolutely. us, we needed to, we needed to drop the cost and increase the access. That's what we were really focused on. So to drop the cost, the first thing you do is make your software not terrible to use because then you don't need consultants and people that are there to configure it, or you don't have to hire a software engineer who writes all the code to do the routing throughout your factory, right? That's what big legacy systems drive. In our world, if you can drag boxes around on your cell phone, you can make your routings. If you can generate a work instruction in Word or PowerPoint, it feels exactly the same to do it inside of Pico. It's just faster, significantly yeah, nice. quicker. It's trying to make it comfortable so that the people who know how to run the shop floor can take the software and use it to make the shop floor better instead of having to rearrange the shop floor to line up to somebody else's software. Mm -hmm. It seems like a weird thing, but what it does is it's reducing those barriers. And then on the cost side of the house, give them an affordable <laughs> price to start with, yeah. which we can do when it's just software. So that they can take a step, try it, get a win or hate it, throw it away. Either way, reduce the the barrier of moving forward right. and then let the experts go with it. You know, we have one customer that you got a chance to speak with in Indiana. Yep. They started with one problem. They yeah. needed to make sure a single set of bolts was torqued properly. And they needed a, a kind of a special tool to make that happen. So we integrated that tool. It was 800 bucks a month is what they were paying us at that time. Yeah. Uh, and then they were like, wait a minute. Well, now we also have access to digital work instructions. Let's use these over here where we're building TV stands and floors for RVs and things like that, where we need to guide workers and they're building something different every day. And we can just gain more output by wasting less time figuring out how to build today's set of, of parts. Yeah. And then they're like, hey, we can integrate more tools. Wait a minute, we can print labels. We can serialize things. We can track how we did this. We can understand our output. We can see which operators are struggling, which ones aren't. Like they're doing all of that. Mm -hmm. We're just giving them a better tool set. And so I think that's the key to manufacturing in a high level is we need to improve the tool set that the supply base can bring to bear. Otherwise the OEMs are going to stop their productivity gains because they're just going to get shut down by their suppliers all the yep. time. Yep. So, you yeah. said something else I love, and I think it's very typical of someone who truly worked on the factory floor. And that is <laughs> you referred to people out there doing the job as the experts and you couldn't be more right. And yet that's something I think a lot of uh, other more expensive and more involved solutions miss is that the real knowledge is in those heads out there and, and, the opportunity is how, how do you effectively free that up to do its best work? Yeah, especially in, um, in the automotive and aerospace industries where the business cases are pretty tight in the supply base, like you're going to, yep. you know, they're going to drive down the cost as much as they can to keep their business cases better. Right. Uh, you're reliant on finding a ton of 1% improvements. If you think there's a 30% gain out there, it's either going to be an automation solution that you probably should have automated already, mm -hmm. or you're, you're dreaming, right? That's not the way most factories work because there's smart people sitting there. If there was 30% to be had, they would have already gone and gotten it. Absolutely. Yep. But what ends up happening is you miss all the one percenters that are 3% or four or whatever the small losses are where, why did Jane outproduce Jim yesterday? You know, how, how often does that machine actually fail and have an issue that we should have changed our maintenance structure around? Or, you know, um, could we assemble this part with less rework because we didn't forget to install a bolt? You know, and we missed something in a complicated assembly. All those little things add up to 
you know, the overall you know, OEE for those that speak it or the efficiency of the factory. Today, they're in the 40 to 60% range and they need to be in the 85, 90% range to be competitive. There's a 30% delta and it's, you know, find 1% 30 times is our motto. And I come back to those experts on the shop floor because, you know, whether it's the operators, the supervisors or the manufacturing mm -hmm. engineers, they're the ones that know, they don't think, they know exactly where those 1% losses are. They just either can't justify it uh, because it's been too expensive in the past to go fix them, or it's this whack-a-mole problem where they're never really able to clean kill a given issue. Uh, and so, you know, that's the world I lived in. Yep, I mean, yep. <laughs> if I did, if I got 30 minutes to do my job and actually improve something in a given day, that was a good day. Oh, heck you know, most, yeah. Most of my time was somebody made a mistake, a supplier sent a bad part in, somebody didn't show up. You know, it's dealing with mistakes that 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 are coming your way, right. not the other way around. So yep. we're we're all about allowing people to be proactive and take 15 minutes, solve a problem, have a little yeah. bit better day tomorrow. Well, and you mentioned something that I've been hitting pretty regularly around the whole um, you know industry 4.0 and AI discussion, and that is people talk so much about that factory floor automation. And that absolutely can be, as you referred to, a major uh, improvement if you haven't gone after it. But a lot of people, that's not where the biggest bang for the buck is. And so, um, you know, a lot of people, I think, get diverted off where their real opportunities are. And that's a piece of what you bring to the table, I think, that highlights, yeah, you know, it may not be the latest and greatest machine. It could just be making your people's job easier. and It's going to deliver huge, huge benefits. Especially when machine lead times are six months to 12 months <laughs> or 18 months and right. you can't hire more people because yeah. it's difficult to train somebody coming out of Taco Bell and get them into the shop floor when your training path is follow Bob around for three weeks and memorize what Bob does. Yep. The, the instead, if you look across the resources you have today, again, if I can go find 10% from everywhere, I can, I can move this thing along in a significant path. Okay. Every one of the things that I find really funny is every ROI calculator we've ever done for a, a potential new, you know, customer coming onto the platform is about half of what they actually find. Wow. <laughs> like, because you, it's hard to see it until you have that, mm -hmm. that digital backbone. Um, yep. But yeah, that's the, for the factories that do recognize, you know, there's more to be had in the resources they currently have. What that ends up doing is you go find those gains in over the first six months, it's freed up the brain power that could actually execute the automation side of the house as well. So there are certain, you know, if that, if that allows you to see certain areas where you could automate a process or two, awesome. Now, but you need engineering brain power to actually do something like that. You don't want to trade off, you know, three hourly people for two engineers that are required to babysit a robotic cell. Right. Uh, yeah. You need to be able to actually seamlessly integrate it and, and gain that value back. So to that end, and you had mentioned the different functions on the floor a couple times. Now the folks in Indiana made a really big deal about how your system has helped close the communication gap between the operators on the floor and those manufacturing engineers. And that hit home with me. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm an old manufacturing floor engineer myself. And I remember having those struggles of, you know, not really connecting with what people were trying to tell me and the problems they were dealing with. So talk a little bit about how your system can help facilitate that. Yeah. I mean, people miss on just having a common communication structure. 
if it's a memorized process or even one where maybe you're working from a print, there's interpretation inside of that. So if yep. instead you have even a reasonably detailed series of step-by-steps, you know, it's a common, first of all, it's a common language to talk about. Step four is where I'm having this issue or, hey, I think the routing of this wire harness we do over on step seven of process B, that, that's actually hurting my wrist and I'm, I'm having a hard time with it. It gives the ability to communicate, first of all. And then our system, you know, is digital. So it has, you know, you push a button, you can submit a note that says, hey, engineer, like that picture's out of date. Uh, or I could do it faster if I did it this way. If they're on a tablet, they could snap an image from it. What you're doing there is you're just giving an easy way for the voice of the operator to be heard so that they're not just this. Yeah, our number one rule is, you know, don't be big brother and don't treat them like a robot. Like, just don't be an a-hole is, is honestly what it comes down to. <laughs> Uh, because if you've ever done that job, <laughs> I, I ran a CNC machine for a shift at one of our customers to validate a, a thing we were doing. And it's, you know, like I need to do the work. I don't want to mm-hmm. punch crap into the screen all day long. So our goal is to get out of your way. But when it is time to say, hey, like this part went wrong, I want to be able to do that quickly and easily and know that it got to the right people on the other side. Mm-hmm. And that's what our software is doing is connecting the system. So we use whatever communication they use internally, if it's email, Microsoft Teams, Slack, text, that's how we alert, right? That's how these notes flow. Don't create some other system you got to log into and and learn something new. Use the systems that already exist. And then for the operators, you know, you're giving them an environment that has all the information they should possibly need to build the part right there, but yet not requiring them to interact with it unless something goes wrong. That's the goal of seamless integration. So I scan a barcode. If it's the right thing on the other end of it, auto advances forward. You don't write it down. You don't have to get a clipboard out. You don't have to say, yep, that's the answer. And then in our world, if you're an experienced operator, you for documentation steps, you know, engineers often need to put more information there than the operators need, especially in aerospace. We don't make them go, I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that, right? That doesn't do anybody any good. Mm-hmm. So we skip those steps, still available to them, and it goes to the quality check or goes to the torque action or the label print or the laser engraver, whatever the, the gatekeeping steps are. So once you've done that, now this system is helpful to the operator instead of being more work. And when it's helpful, now they'll communicate. There's yeah. an incentive there. And then they get data back. And it's, I mean, if you just make your plant floor people more efficient, you don't have the attrition problems, you know, they want to stay. They're happy right. with it. They feel like there's a career path because they're learning technology and they're understanding more. They can show, hey, I had a really good day today versus you know others. So there's a little bit of that pump up that occurs when they can see their output and they're aligned to the business. I mean, it's 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 all just done by you know communicating with how you'd like to be communicated. Yeah, exactly. With, so. Yeah, and, and it, I love that. <laughs> mention of not making their jobs more difficult, which is what so many um, efforts to improve do. It's like, yeah, they they just have infinite capacity for doing more work. Well, no, if you get out there with them, they're all plenty busy and they don't need extra work. They need help. Yeah. Most technology is focused on a business value, which is the right way, by the way, you yeah, need to start sure. from business value. But when you're not thinking about it from the people's perspective of getting the work done, then it might be biased towards what the engineers want. Well, I needed these data for this corner cases and 
you know, now all of a sudden the operator is burdened with going and getting all of that instead of mm -hmm. inferring it from tools or inferring it from other alarms and actions that are occurring like we do. Yep. Uh, but it's just, you know, again, if I come back to shop floor, you know, anything that can possibly go wrong, will you got to think things through. And if, that's what manufacturing engineers do more than anything else yeah. is they have a really great way of understanding how things move through the factory. Yeah. Well, we do the same thing with how the results move. And we are just trying to eliminate any piece of work that's not necessary. So the results mm -hmm. move through faster and that allows it to be easier to use and cheaper, right? That's yep. the whole goal here. And that makes it more accessible. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I love is it facilitates that opportunity to make those improvements so that a problem that happens today isn't happening tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that to me is what, you know, makes your it's operators love fun. you is having something that's dogged them for weeks <laughs> and months and years go away for good. Right. It's like the Lay's potato chip model. You do that once and it's just addictive, right? You just want more and more of it. And it's they're small gains. Yeah. So the key to it is that small gains have to be achieved with small amounts of work for small costs, right? Like yeah. that's how this whole thing functions. And it's yeah. my favorite part is also when you have somebody who's used the, I call them legacy systems, but just think of all the ones that everybody hates. Yeah. Uh, the, they're like, oh, this is how it's supposed to work. It's like, yeah, listen, I didn't wake up one day going, you know what I want to do? I want to, I want to dedicate 12 hours a day, six days a week and barely see my family. So I can start a venture firm that is highly unlikely to actually make any money for me personally. We went out and are like, I want to solve these problems. And the only way we can do it is to build it, build this tech, take these learnings that we happen to have. There's a really unique story on how we got there, yeah. but put them out into the world and see if they stick. We're not a tech company trying to sell artificial intelligence to somebody saying it's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread or a legacy company that requires every dollar that you spend on software has a dollar 50 worth of consulting fees and setup fees mm -hmm. and implementation fees that come with right. it. We're re eliminating repeating work and putting solutions in people's hands so that they can choose whether or not to implement. Wonderful. Anyway. <laughs> uh, you mentioned AI, so I'm going to go there because obviously, I mean, it is just all the rage and all the buzz these days. I'm actually planning on doing an article here shortly, just going into what the heck is it and why does it matter to you? Um, you know, but you guys make use of it. So specifically, what is it that AI brings to the table that you wouldn't otherwise have for your system? Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we, can, we can get into the tech of how it works, but at a high level, artificial intelligence is just fancy algorithms looking for answers that you wouldn't gain through an intuitive view of the data. That's the way I view it anyway, yep. is it's, an, it's a tool that allows insights to be generated more easily. So in our world, often it has no bearing. Like our factories are trying to implement, I just want to scan this part so I know exactly when it was built and how much labor content went into it. Or I need this data to give to my customer because they have audit rights to it. Yep. They'll start there. So that's a very obvious solution. Or I have a labor issue and I need to get more out of my people. But then it turns into the next iteration, which is, wait a minute, I want to access to these tools. I want to put in DC nut runners where we're using pneumatic tools or clutch tools. Or I want to put in a laser engraver on these parts or tie into a machining center. Um, well, now you have increasing amounts of data coming your way. Right. So there's only so much you can you can understand without sitting there and you know staring at screens all day long. And we can only flush out so many using statistics and your the models behind it. Yeah. This is where artificial intelligence comes in or machine learning is really what it is. Where yeah. 
our data set structured as inputs versus outputs. So if I know the difference between there, I can iterate loops in software that says what combinations of inputs drive problems or more output and then flush that out using algorithms like that. So if you're an enterprise factory who already has data coming from the machines, right? You've been on this digital journey for five, 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. That's your problem. You're ingested with data and you need an algorithm that can sort through it across, you know, 30 factories, you know, bigger data sets, things like that. That's why artificial intelligence is the rage in a lot of um, circles is because that's what enterprise needs yeah. to try to, to try to find the next level of efficiency in the supply chain side of the house. I think we have a couple of steps to go before that becomes the, the big technology there, but hold on to your hats. Like this is where AI actually starts to become interesting. Forget about just running it on general motors data. What happens when you can see the entire supply chain's data? Mm -hmm. Now it's not this like call and 48 hours later, hey, can you send me the CMM results from part XYZ through, you know, ABC? Yeah. If it's available there and you can run the algorithms on it in advance, you could sort parts. Say, hey, I know this is slightly out of spec, but we can actually use it if we match it to these other slightly end of tolerance parts. And now our rotor lines, you know, scrap rate drops by a third. Yeah. You know, big deal in certain industries for people that make motors. There's yeah, lots of that absolutely. circularity of scrap, logistics movements, improvements, bullwhip effect on inventory things. So 2030, I think it's going to get really interesting, but I think you need to connect the, I think there needs to be a bigger digital foundation before it exits what one company gained by it. And it starts to really impact the industry as a whole. Interesting. So anyway, I went on a long curve there, Jim. No, Sorry. I think it's valuable. <laughs> I, you know, I can't imagine I'm the only one kind of scratching my head on, yeah, I hear this term all the time. What the heck does it mean and what yeah. is it doing for us? Um, yeah. actually reading Artificial a really good book on that right now. So it's it's a personal <laughs> interest. But but you know, you make a great point is we've got more and more and more data, right? But data is only powerful if you can make it actionable. Right. And to me, that's what, what AI and ML bring to the table. So data is useless in its own, in itself. Insights exactly. are effective. Yeah. And so ML um, algorithms are just able to generate insights in a new way that we may not be able to do intuitively. Mm -hmm. uh, there's still no substitute for the human brain and the expert on the floor. I still go back to them first, yeah. but there is always a limit for what any one person is capable of doing. And if we can bring tools in that amplify that, our force multiplier, that's where I see these tools really helping. Yeah. Yeah, I always say it, it's all um, looking at things that have already happened. There's no creativity to AI and ML. Well, and remember, you feed it garbage, you feed it garbage data, you get garbage data out of it, right? As exactly. we've seen in a lot of the the online tools and how Absolutely. it writes, you know, yep. speech we may not like and things like that coming out of it. So. Yeah. As, as a writer, trust me, um, Chad, GPT is, it's marvelous. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, it's easy to spot when things are not quite right and did not come from a human brain. Don't don't build your house on a on a foundation of sand. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yep. Like that's the. But yeah, the there's no replacing the creativity of of your experts on the floor. So freeing and them up to use that is the key. Amplify it, right? Yeah, I mean, oh, a, yeah, great point. A, a torque tool amplifies the creativity of the person on the, on the floor because they don't have to worry about, it takes the brain power of, did I shoot every bolt? And it takes that brain power and frees it up to maybe I could have done this a little bit better. 
Yeah. I, I love the analogy of a race car driver. You know, like pick your, your driver of choice. You know, 20% of their brain is driving the car because they've been doing it for so long. They know exactly how to set it up. And 80% of it is, how am I going to pass this person? What's my perfect braking point? Where are my tires at? Like our operators today that are experienced, been there for 20 years, they get to that point, but there's still a chunk of their brain that has got to stay active. And like, did I do everything I was supposed to do? And carries a little anxiety with it. Mm-hmm. If you can give them more and more tools that just reduce that, you actually get this, this creative flow that comes out of them, sure. either a happier environment and they just, that just is the way they, they manifest that extra brain power or mm-hmm. uh, more solutions that could improve the process. But I guarantee you, it never makes it worse on that yeah, side right. of the house. Absolutely so, right. Yep. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, so what are the next big opportunities for Pico MES? Yeah, for us, I mean, the big thing that we're heading down this path of is uh, making our product even cheaper. I, I, we will always drive it to be easier to use, cheaper, and more capable. That's the goal for me is to so that it can be adopted faster. But the second piece of the puzzle that we're heading down is we're seeing this cliff where in the automotive and aerospace industries, especially in some of the heavy equipment, as the supply chains have a digital backbone, there's a significant incentive to 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 share that data across the tiers. You don't just share who your supplier is and you're not sure it's only going to share business case related stuff. But if you can see, for instance, when did the parts you shipped out get consumed at the person you shipped them to, it tells you with more confidence when you need to reorder the raw material coming in on your side instead of some generic forecast that's six Mm -hmm. months old. So you can eliminate inventory carrying counts. Like there's, there's, there's a really interesting thing here. And actually I think it's the OEMs problem. This is who should be, I mean, this may be a little more controversial, but yeah. How many major companies do you see saying, ah, we did all this digital stuff and we gained 25%. Cool. You should follow in our footsteps. Well, why are you paying for a go, no go gauge fixture at a machine shop that doesn't provide you squat and cost you 30 to 60 grand to go get one made up? Why don't you put 25 K into that factory as part of that NRE package to say, I want you to have a digital backbone for my stations so that you can implement these types of tools. And more importantly, we can share data in the future as we agree to. So we're, we're heading down that path right now. Um, and then just making the product easier. And I mean, we've got over 150 families of connected tools on the yeah. platform right now. And we're adding every two weeks, we release more. Oh, wow. uh, so it's just access to, to And every tool we integrate is because somebody asked us to do so for a specific problem. That's, you know, that's, that created a solution for them on the floor. So right. transferring that knowledge. And using that tool is going to be more uh, productive. Yeah, that tool we implemented at the RV manufacturing in Indiana you chatted with immediately mm-hmm. got picked up by a semi-truck factory uh, in Ohio that was had the exact same problem on drive shaft installs. Okay. And it installed in less than one day, out of the box, in use. Because it was done. There's no yeah. repeated work. And that's just yeah. awesome for me to sit back. It's industrial tourism is what we call it. Where you can just <laughs> right. see solutions across these factories. So awesome. That's where we're heading. Good deal. Yeah. Anything we haven't touched on that uh, that you want to get out there? Just, you know, remember manufacturing. 98% of factories have 500 people or less inside of them. When you think about manufacturing, think about the supply chain. It is incredibly important for communities that they're within and our country as a whole let's let's get it done that's how we win so well put 
Ryan Kuhlenbeck, <laughs> thank you for being with us here on Manufacturing Talks. Jim, thanks so much for having me. Hope there was some usefulness coming at it today. Oh, heck yes. That was a good one. Uh, you know, to me, this is one of the best innovation stories uh, that we've covered through this whole show. Um, and, and of course, you know, thanks to everyone who tuned in and hopefully you uh, took it away as well. That There are these amazing things like what Ryan has going on out here in manufacturing and making things better day by day. Um, I can't promise every story is going to be as cool from an innovation perspective as what Ryan brought today. But <laughs> we're here every week and I guarantee you all of them will have some level of innovation. So thanks again. Tune in every week. We will be here. So long. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Manufacturing Talks with Jim Benoski. Watch for new episodes dropping every Tuesday. And don't forget to like, share, comment, and subscribe. <laughs>